Episode 150, Bonus Edition, Interview with Beckett Haight. Educators, is your passion tank running on empty? Look no further. Gretchen of Always a Lesson has a double dose of just what you need. Come fill yourself up with an empowering educators podcast to start your day feeling empowered. Hey, hey, elite educators, it's Gretchen here from Always a Lesson, here to empower you to reach your potential. You know I love to call you elite. I think that really describes someone that takes the time to invest in themselves by listening to a podcast just like this one to help hone their craft. Well, today is a special day because we have a guest appearance. I want to help you reignite your passion and potential by hearing from another elite educator named Beckett. He's got such an empowering message. Before we dive into that interview, I want to take a second to share a little bit with you about him. So Beckett is a former student with special needs. He went on to become a special educator. And after getting expelled from sixth grade, he had an IEP and special education services stemming from ADHD and oppositional defiance disorder until graduating from high school. So this led him to becoming a volunteer in special needs classrooms in high school and then a teacher assistant for four years during college and then became a special education teacher for the past 13 years. What's really cool about his story is he's taught in California, the Dominican Republic, Kuwait, Ethiopia, and now he's in Mexico. He's a national board certified teacher in exceptional needs. Whoop, whoop. He's got a master's of science in special education and a master's of education technology. He also loves all aspects of special education, but has a particular passion for behavior support and post-secondary transition. He's been in the education game for 18 years and doesn't see anything changing for the next 18. So let's dive into this really cool interview with Beckett Haight. Well, hey, Beckett, thanks so much for being a guest here on the Empowering Educators podcast. Definitely. It's great to be here. Well, elite educators uh, around the world are listening, and they're just eager to hear what you have to share with them today. So I'm going to dive right in if you're okay with that. Sounds good. Okay, so let's start at the beginning. How did you and I connect? Explain to the listeners how our paths have crossed. So um, I listen to a lot of podcasts and a lot of education podcasts. And so recently I was trying to update my list. And I came across your website and your podcast, and I was checking through your website and saw that you've been on like cult of pedagogy and other things like that. So I started listening to your podcast, and you know, after a while, I reached out to you, and you know, gone from there. Yay! I'm so glad that listeners do reach out because I have a network of people that I know I want to chat with and you know share their story. But so many of you listening have your own jewels of knowledge that you want to pass on. And so as you guys listen today, you're going to hear a little bit of Beckett's story and what he's doing right now, which is really cool, and um, how it's going to impact the work you do every day. So I'm so glad that you reached out. Um, go ahead and update us on your current position and even fill in the details of what you had been doing up until that part. Okay, so uh, currently I'm working at a, an American American school in Mexico, in Monterrey, Mexico, and I'm a learning support teacher in the eighth grade. The last couple of years, I was in Ethiopia, and I was working at a, a sixth through twelfth learning support at an IB school and an international baccalaureate. And that, that was my first chance to work in the IB, and that was uh, a lot of fun. I learned a lot. And um, I was in Kuwait for a little bit before that. 
Wow. And I was in the Dominican Republic. Yeah, <laughs> been around the last like seven or eight years. I've been just globetrotting. Mm-hmm. And I spent like three years in the Dominican Republic doing learning support at an American school. And then my first six years were in California, working mainly in Los Angeles Unified, mm-hmm. uh, working in some somewhat high need schools, doing um, special day classes, like the self-contained classes. And uh, yeah, I've been in the game for a while. Before that, I was a TA. And before that, I was a volunteer. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I, just, I love this stuff. So in terms of a degree, to be able to do what you're doing, because I'm sure people are like dreaming right now of traveling and teaching, what do you have to have to be eligible to be able to teach in another country or at least teach a specific subject? Yeah, for um, most of the schools that I've worked at and most of the schools out there that I've seen are accredited usually through a North American accreditation like WASC or, um, you know, some of the other accreditation agencies. And so you have to be uh, certified in your state usually. Okay. Or if you're from Canada, maybe your province or however that works. And so um, some schools, I've seen them take interns. So maybe if you have a college degree, You can go, you know, uh, apply and maybe you can start at a certain school as an intern. But usually they want you to be um, fully credentialed and usually with uh, experience. Right. And some schools even like you need AP or IB experience and you need two years of international experience. Uh So that that was my problem at first getting in. I had to try to get my foot in the door because I didn't have the international experience or the IB and AP. So you know, it took me a while to find a school that was willing to, to try. I mean, I guess that makes sense from their point of view, wanting to make sure you're prepared and ready and well-rounded. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, that would do that. So knowing that the way our system works is, you know, we have to keep our license current with professional development. Now that you're abroad and whether you call them districts or not, you know, how, they all probably differ. And if you want to go teach in another country, then how do you just make sure you, you continue to be eligible? Uh, you know, it's funny. I was just talking to a coworker today that um, her uh, licensure lapsed and she had to pay $500 to renew it because <gasps> oh. she's going back to the States next year. And so, um, but basically for myself, I, in California, every five years, I just have to reapply and uh, pay $100. Oh, so that's I just awesome. have to make sure I don't forget but then also, um, you know, we do a lot of PD. Uh, we get a lot of PD and you can get your continuing education credits. So, I, you know, I've seen teachers in different states send their documentation and just update their license every couple of years. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, if you stay on that, usually you're good to go. I'm wondering if you're going to have like culture shock when you come back to the States and see kind of just how structured everything is. I assume when you're abroad, you get to have a little bit more leniency and probably fun and projects and whatever. And you come back here and you're like, what is this? You know, it's uh, that's definitely true in some ways. Like, for example, you know, I do IEPs in the States. You know, you have to fill out your IEPs Mm -hmm. for all the caseload. And when I was in L.A., they had they were so strict and had so many uh, lawsuits over the years that our IEPs were about 50 pages. <gasps> oh, my God. Yeah. And then I got in like it's a legal document and you're just like really nervous about every check box you put. Uh-huh. Then Dominican Republic and my longest one was two pages. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, that's, that's different. That's, you might not want to come home. I know a lot of that stuff is um, is tough, but it, you know it has its its uh, pluses and minuses. Like I do miss like I used to be on a pool league, like mm-hmm. a billiards league, and 
you know, like bike clubs and, you know, it's hard to find a lot of that stuff in other countries. So. Yeah, that's true. You need that balance that, you know, make yeah. sure you're, you're finding that you can go out and do things and don't just live this one type of life as an educator. That's, that's huge here too. Just trying to find that work-life balance. You have been, you know, all over the world, really, um, thinking about all your different roles. What would you say is the best lesson that you've learned while being an educator? Um, I would say that, I don't know if it sounds cliche, but like the how important relationship building is mm-hmm. with your kids and with your colleagues. I think that's something I've definitely learned a lot in the last few years, and I continue to try to develop up until, you know, like today. Like we just got back from spring break, and um, for me, I'm all about work, 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 you know. <laughs> but, um, you know, some people in the hallway are like, hey, how was your break? And I'm like, oh, I, I need to stop. <laughs> and, you know, I need to chat with people or the kids. You know, I'm like, hey, you have this project coming up. Right. But then I'm like, wait, let me step back. How was your break? Like, mm-hmm. do, let's chat for a minute. And I found that um, that just is worth so much more than, you know, so much other stuff. I'm glad you brought that up because it's hard for me, too, because I can't separate the two. It's like when I'm at work, I'm like, that's all I'm thinking about. But then if I see you outside of work, then I'm all chatty and I don't want to talk about school Uh at all, you know. But it's like I struggle meshing the two while at work. And so um, it's funny you bring that up because I have yet to meet someone that struggles with the same thing. So I'm glad to hear you say that. (laughs) What do you think makes you better at that do you think you know just being conscious and like you said you caught yourself and you stopped and you you know redirected does that seem to work yeah and and, you know I'm just thinking like um I guess like a few years ago I found out like I worked with a kid all the time I worked with him in a push-in class in like Mm -hmm. two classes I had him in a pull-out class he'd come after school I was with him all day every day and then one of the other teachers told me he was sad one day because his uh, girlfriend broke up with him and I was like man I don't even I didn't know he had a girlfriend (laughs) because <laughs> I was just all about school, school, school. Right. And like, those are the type of things, like, I just, I remember like, oh, okay, like, I need to know that this kid's on the championship soccer team and I need to ask questions. I just have to kind of get in there and, you know, I just try to make that a part of my, my practice a little bit because yeah. that way kids will reach out and, you know, and feel more comfortable and want to, and then, you know, things come up. If a kid's hanging out in my room at lunch and then he's like, oh, I had this essay coming up, I forgot to tell you, and then I can you know, help them with the essay and stuff. Right, right. That's definitely good advice. And thinking about relationships with colleagues, and I know you've run into many and had to work with many, thinking about characteristics that make them great, how would you describe one that's like, wow, that's a great educator right there? Oh, goodness. Um, I think um, one of the things that comes out is the ones that are just willing to take the time. I think um, we're all busy, and it's really easy to just kind of move on like for example you know i work with a lot of kids with special needs and it's easy maybe just to pass them oh let me give them a passing grade nobody's going to complain and i I really appreciate it when the educators will reach out to me and they said hey this kid got a 75 but i know he can do better what can we do and they take their time out of their prep or you know or their email on the you know weekends or whatever and reach out and then um I think combined with that is just being super organized. It helps when like a teacher can say, hey, I can share this doc with you right now and it's in this folder and, you know, the rubric is right there and the standards are at the top. And, you know, that when I see that type of stuff, it makes my job a lot easier. Right. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. 
and thinking about those who are listening right now, we've got kind of a, a mix of people. Some are new, some are transitioning to different roles or kind of in a distress situation. They may be losing their job or, or leaving education. And then we've got teacher leaders. So if you were to pick one bucket of these teachers to kind of give a piece of advice to, who would you choose and what would you say to them? Um, I guess, you know, I've been hearing a lot recently, you know, in the podcast and reading in blogs about, um, like teacher attrition and, you know, it's hard to get new teachers. A lot mm-hmm. of teachers, you know, you're hearing about the Oklahoma strikes in West Virginia. Right. And so I, I guess I would direct mine to teachers that are burnt out or fed up. Mm-hmm. Um, and advice, I, I would say that, you know, I think a lot of teachers get discouraged after a few years and they get you know, overwhelmed and they feel like maybe they're not being effective. And I would say every teacher should give it four or five years. You know, it took me about until my fourth or fifth year to really get in a groove. Yes. If you're comfortable, you too. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it takes forever to just figure out one, your own flow, but two, like what the heck you're supposed to be doing. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. And like, and for a lot of us, I mean, like for me, especially, um, before I became a teacher, you know, I was a TA and I, I worked at a gym, I was a strength trainer and all those jobs, you know, you get pretty good at it after, you know, some months or maybe a year as a, you know, after a year as a TA, I felt pretty confident, but so you get to be a teacher and you're in year three or four and you're still stressed and you, you're still having, you know, kids complain like, you know, like I had my, I remember kids used to make fun of my rubrics. And like they'd complain to other teachers and other teachers would come and be like, hey, this rubric isn't really clear. And, you know, and it's super frustrating, but (laughs) you just get better every year. Yeah. And I think uh, one of the hardest pieces of advice to follow is to ask students for feedback because we always go to our mentor or supervisor, but they're not in the class. And so for your kids to be like, I don't even understand what you're asking me to do. This is unclear. I'm not sure what a perfect score looks like. And then you're looking at yourself like, huh, I guess that is vague. Or, you know, in my mind, I pictured it this way. And so it pushes you to be better if you can get past their brutal honesty. <laughs> yeah, <right>. yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh, yes. I'm so glad that you reminded me about talking to students and just finding out you know, mm-hmm. how to be better and th- and talking about being better. Do you have a mentor that you kind of go to to find out either what's going on right now or how to yourself get better or just stay connected? You know, um, I, it's funny, like, so like the last few, maybe the, the like the last year or so, I've been hearing a lot about mentors, like, um, you know, like, do you know Tim Ferriss? Yeah. Uh-huh. So he got his new book, Tribe of Mentors. And, um, you know, like I watch Gary Vaynerchuk on uh, mm-hmm. YouTube and he's always talking about mentors and this and that. And it struck me that I don't really have like a mentor, like a go-to. And, you know, I've been thinking about it and um, I don't know. I think I got issues. I think that's my issue. Maybe <laughs> I need to be more open and like less prideful. Maybe some of that male pride if I can mm-hmm. be gender stereotypes and whatnot. But in thinking of that, um, over the years, I found one mentor uh, there's a teacher in Los Angeles. He was kind of my mentor when I came into the district and I was taking over his job and he became a supervisor. And this guy, John Martinez, throw a shout out out to him. <laughs> and, um, I just, I really liked him a lot cause he was super smart and, um, but he was also street smart. And so for me, like I grew up, um, I don't know if I mentioned to you before, like I grew up, I got kicked out of school in sixth grade and I was in special ed and 
I went to juvenile hall and I, I got in a lot of trouble when I was coming up. And so when I became a teacher, a lot of people didn't believe that I actually like stopped living that life and I like went to college and became mm-hmm. a teacher. And then a lot of people that I, were my colleagues didn't believe my story. They, they're like, no, nah, he just went to, he's just a normal kid, went to college. He's just like us. And so I always felt like I had like a little chip on my shoulder. So when I met this guy, you know, he's street smart, and but he, you know, went to Berkeley and he's educated, sharp guy. And he just kind of, um, I just looked up to him because of that. And I was able to kind of let my guard down a bit. And, you know, we're friends on Facebook. I reach out to him every, every once in a while and ask questions about like, you know, what credentials should I look at next? What should, what master should I do? You know, I was talking about writing a book at one point and he was kind of inspiring me a bit. That so, is yeah, awesome. Good John Martinez. I wonder why you feel like you're not wanting to open up. Have you ever thought about that? Is it that you're not sure what to ask or what you need to work on or is it just uncomfortable? I don't, I think it's just uncomfortable. Um, I'm not sure. I think, I don't know. Maybe it's just an issue I have, like, just in general. Like, I like to be very self-sufficient, mm-hmm. you know, and I don't like to ask for help for whatever reason. Right. And I don't know if it's a vulnerability or it's probably something. You We could turn this into a therapy session. I know. <laughs> <laughs> but, well, uh, but the more, like, the last year I've been hearing a lot about mentors, you know, like even, like, Ty Lopez. You ever see him on YouTube? I haven't. <laughs> He, he has these advertisements all the time. He's always talking about Bitcoin and like random uh-huh. things. And I just love watching it from like a sociological perspective. And he's always talking about mentors too. And it, it makes me think that like I need to maybe branch out and really like kind of open up. And, you know, I've been a mentor to several teachers. I've been a master teacher and a mentor teacher. But that's not me being open. That's just right. me <laughs> being a little bit more didactic and whatnot. Well, you know, I never had one single mentor unless they were assigned to me. For me, Mm -hmm. I look to different people for different things. So like you said, all these famous people and a lot of them have their own podcasts or shows. And it's like Mm -hmm. they're good at one thing. Like they've got that niche. They've got that go-to thing. You listen to them to learn X. You go to this person for Y. And so for me, it was always like, okay, I need a leadership mentor. Like who's already a leader that can help me hone my craft there? Okay, who's really good? at teaching literacy because I eventually departmentalized and I had to get really good at that one subject. And so I found somebody there and who's really good at work-life balance. I need that person in my life. And so I ended up having this tribe of people that made me better, but it never was really one person. And so, you know, I didn't ever have to be super vulnerable to everyone. Like they never had access to the whole me. They just knew that one aspect of me. So that might be a safe way for you to dip your toe in. That, that makes sense. I like that. And that, that's definitely how I functioned a lot, like compartmentalizing. You mm-hmm. know, I have my work friends. I have my neighbor friends. <laughs> right. I have my bicycle friends. <laughs> so I could kind of segue that into my mentor thing. Yeah. And I know you were mentioning your past just briefly, but I think that's really the most powerful part of your story that I wanted everyone to hear. So feel free to share as much detail as you want or just kind of share the rationale of why you went down a certain road as a child and, and why you decided to take a turn and do something different as an adult? Yeah, sure. Um, so, well, basically, um, you know, I don't want to get, I don't know if I want to get too detailed, but you don't I, was have adop- to. Yeah, I was adopted when I was two for various reasons. And um, then I had ADHD. I was diagnosed with ADHD in first grade. And from first grade to sixth grade, they're trying to get me into like some type of special ed services because I was just all over the place, impulsive and just, just being wild, fighting, stealing. 
And uh, by the time I was in sixth grade, I um, uh, <laughs> I pulled a knife on a parent at a basketball game. Oh, wow. And so that got me kicked out of school. And finally, the district, after a couple months of me being out of school, they said, OK, we're going to get this kid an IEP and we're going to send him to a non-public school, which is like a school for kids with just IEPs. Oh, OK. And um, so I went there for like two years until ninth grade. And I got to ninth grade. I went to a regular high school for two weeks. And then I got arrested again. And I was gone for a year in a juvenile hall and rehab. And when I got out, I finally got on a good medication while I was in rehab. And it kind of really slowed me down with the ADHD. Mm-hmm. And I really like it. Honestly, within a couple of weeks of the new medication, I was like, oh, I need my mom's not going to be taking care of me forever. I got to go to college. I got to get a job. I can't do this forever. And like, Slowly, you know, I was about 15 or 16 at that time. And then slowly I just kind of started doing school and um, decided that I wanted to give back. And so then when I was 16, I actually became a TA also, like a volunteer. And just that led, when I was 18, I became a TA. And by the time I was 20, I was like in college and I said, oh, maybe I'll be a teacher. <laughs> you know, I've been doing this education thing for a couple of years. And, um, but before that, I was trying to become a probation officer. Because I wanted to get back to the kids in the hood and kids in juvenile hall and all that. Yeah, I but can I thought, see you doing that. Yeah, but I, you know, I like I'm, I'm kind of cerebral. You know, I like education. I like mm-hmm. reading. So I thought that working in a special needs environment would be a really good feature for me. Now, what's weird? It's not weird, but unique, different. I don't know what word you use to describe. Is you just said you like reading, and my experience with kids with ADHD is. They struggled to focus for a lengthy period of time to read and even to get into the story long enough for it to be uh-huh. enjoyable. So tell me how that those two worked. You know, you, you got me smiling right now because I was in an English meeting today. We had a like a weekly collaboration meeting and I mentioned how uh, I was reading my Harry Potter book. Mm-hmm. You know, get in touch with what the kids are into. So I was reading my Harry Potter book on Saturday, and after like two minutes, I, I wanted to hop on my phone. Like, <laughs> you know, and like I did hop on my phone, and like four minutes later, I'm yeah, I'm doing something else. And so like, it's not always easy. You know, I definitely have to make myself focus. And a lot of times, I uh, will just read like one section, you know, and then stop, and then come back to it like three days later. But um, yeah, I don't know. I guess my family was a family of readers. And we always had books around. And even like when I was doing drugs and stealing, I'd come home at like three in the morning when I was like 13 and would read a book. Oh, my read, God. <laughs> That's cool. I'd read Tom Sawyer before I go to bed. But, <laughs> you know, uh, if I grew up these days, I'd probably come home at three in the morning and be on Snapchat. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> I grew up before I had a TV in my room and all that stuff. So. Well, what makes you a great teacher is that you were a struggling student. And I found really strong teachers are strong because they get it. They know the struggles in the classroom. They didn't. They weren't one of those kids where things just came easy. So they're great with differentiation or reaching their ELL students or helping cool. students find medication or at least getting referred to a doctor. So I truly think that that's your greatest asset is your past because mm-hmm. you've been there, you get it. You can probably identify the kids going down that road before anyone else could. You know the signs. But more importantly, you might even empathize with what they're going through. Like, I don't know if you were truly ever angry Maybe you were just bored or maybe you just felt like you didn't connect or you didn't belong. But any of those feelings, everyday kids feel and you've been there. And so I think, you know, you being a teacher is probably the best place for you. 
No, definitely. You know, and that's one of the things I use to help build the relationships I was talking about earlier. You know, I, early on in the year, I do like a, a writing diagnostic mm-hmm. and I always have a model and I talk about my struggles and the kids like you can just see it in their eyes. They're like, wait, you were in special ed, you were in resource and now you're a teacher. Oh, mm-hmm. now you, I've seen it year after year. The kids are like, oh, OK. And um, yeah, it helps, you know, especially in you know working with kids that really hate school. You know, I tell them, hey, man, I hated school. Like, like <laughs> I had trouble. I got kicked out. But you got to do it. Like, yeah. you know, and that's and I think kids believe me when I say that because they know it. Well, you they know? know you've struggled. You're not someone that's like it just came easy. Like they know you are in their shoes. And you mentioned writing a book. Did you finish that book? No, no. I, I kind of was well, speaking of mentoring. I was mentored a teacher the last like or like about a year and a half ago. Mm-hmm. And for a while, and um, I just took a ton of notes while I was doing it so I could remember for the future. Right. And, and um, after that, like, I, it just became crazy. Like, I had, like, 60 pages of notes. And, you know, for right now, I'm just sitting on that. But That's so knows? great. Well, I think if you don't ever turn that into a book, which you should, I think your story is one, you know, worth reading, even if it's just, like, a couple chapters. Yeah. And, you know, when you come back to the States – Set yourself up some like consulting gig where you can go into schools, you know, back to school or even end of school or whatever, and just speak to the kids. Like, here is the raw details of my story mm-hmm. leading to adulthood. It's not pretty. Um, it's not a hundred percent successful every, uh, everywhere along the way, but in the end, I got where I'm supposed to be, and yeah. I get where you're going through because I think you being able to stand in front of somebody as a successful teacher, but who's been there. I mean, I think you could really save a lot of kids from feeling like school's not for them, even though, yeah, school's hard, but you're not going to be in school forever. It's just one chapter of the book to get you to the next phase. And if they can see the bigger picture by hearing your story, I think that might be your future. I mean, you're a great dynamic speaker and you've got a great story. I think you should do it. I like that idea. I've never thought about that. And um, it just makes sense. Like if I can be in a room with eight kids and see the light, you know, turn on, you know, it'd be great to be in a room with like 200 kids mm-hmm. and have like, oh, OK, you can go to juvenile hall eight times and do you know, go to rehab when you're 14 and mm-hmm. still make it and all that. That's a good idea. man. So our therapy session worked out. <laughs> I'm so glad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, now you just got to set up a website, look legit, get that going this summer. But right now you just focus on those kids. Yeah, right. So tell me one uh, quick story about your best all-star teacher moment. I always like to make my guests blush, but I do think it's important for us to celebrate kind of like those achievements. So tell us what you got. The first thing that comes to mind is uh, like, well, actually it's fitting right into what we're saying is a lot of times I work with kids that have behavioral challenges, which, you know, you see a lot with kids with special needs. And um, because of my background, I love working with these kids. So if they're not on my caseload, a lot of times I ask for them to be on my caseload. And, you know, I just love working with kids that have challenging behaviors. And um, I had probably my best uh, case was a few years ago in the Dominican. I had a kid that was like, having a lot of trouble. He had ADHD and he had trouble in certain subjects. And he got to a point where we were doing a lot of work and I was working with a lot of teachers and his therapists and parents. And, um, but he was on academic probation and he got to a point where he was one semester from being kicked out of school or counseled out, as they say. Mm -hmm. And um, 
So I, I just kept progressively working harder and harder, and I started, his parents were divorced, and so that, and that was like a hurdle that I really had to battle. Right. Or whatever, or overcome, because, because um, like for me, a lot of times there needs to be a home to school connection for the mm-hmm. kids to be successful. Mm-hmm. Uh, they leave at 2.15 on a Friday or 3.15 and don't look at a notebook for two days and <laughs> doing whatever, you know, makes our job a lot harder. And so, um, yeah, so I finally got this kid dialed in, and by the time I left, I'd worked with him for two years, and we got him off behavior probation. And then a year later, I got a message from him on Facebook. He found me on Facebook, and he said, hey, I just made an honor roll. <laughs> and uh, wow. he's like, thank you so much. And um, I just couldn't believe it. From being a few months to getting kicked out to like a year and a half later on honor roll, he messaged me like a year later, because I started working with him when he was a freshman, so by the time uh, he got to 12th grade, he was telling me what colleges he was going to or like he was wow. applying to and this and that. And um, yeah, just that type of stuff I love. You know, I love education. I love reading and writing and doing solving math problems. But the behavior parts and seeing those successes is, uh, you know, it's really rewarding for me. Yeah, you just can't give up on kids, man. No, no. It takes a lot of work. I mean, <laughs> it can get crazy at times, but yeah, you got to keep trucking. Well, I want to be respectful of your time. So before I let you go, I want to ask you one more question. And that's how do you reignite that passion and potential you have for education? Um, I would say like in the past couple of years, like I'm super passionate. I love what I do. I could see myself doing it until I retire. Mm-hmm. And um, I just mentioned that because a lot of teachers, you know, I have a really good friend. He's a great teacher he's trying to get into investment. He's like, I'm tired of <laughs> working this job and uh, I just want to make some money. And other teachers are like, ah, I kind of want to get out of the classroom. Maybe I'll do something else. And um, I understand that. But for me, I just I just love what I do. But I found that um, over the last couple of years, I've been getting more involved in like professional associations. So like we have the Council for Exceptional Children for, uh, you know, for us in the special education field. Mm-hmm. So, like, I went to their annual convention this past year, and I spoke on a panel, and I joined, like, one of the subcommittees, so I'm helping, like, you know, um, just, you know, figure out how we can get more diversity and more membership and stuff like that. Um, Like, also, I just finished my national board certification. Congratulations. Thank you. It was a long journey. Yes. (laughs) But, uh, so now, this year, I said, oh, let me just be a scorer. I'm going to be a test scorer this summer and um you know and it just takes you to the next level it goes from my all right let me just do my job lesson plan write ieps whatever right and, and you're doing something just a little bit different and it's kind of invigorating you know I, i'm glad you brought up national board because i was just chatting with someone today and i'm like it's the best pd i've ever done because you're forced <laughs> to reflect about yourself in your current situation with your current kids. And you normally don't get that with PD. Um, so yeah. I'm so thankful I did it. It's it's hard, <laughs> but I love that you're now paying it forward and you're gonna, uh, I don't know how much help you can give it as you're scoring, but you're at least being part of the process to help more teachers. So I, I love to hear that. Oh yeah, for sure. And well, you know, to add to that, um, I would say that like, like you're talking about like digging in and you know, being reflective. You know, I've been blogging a little bit the last couple of years. Oh, good. But I feel like that kind of kind of reignites, reignites me a little bit just because it makes you think like, you know, I might have an idea like, oh, I'll blog real quick about this. But then I have to think about examples and I have to think about my rationale and do a little <laughs> research. 
and it really makes me feel like a better educator and then I feel more confident and you know get more engaged in what I'm doing I love that. Well, on behalf of Elite Educators Everywhere, thank you for your time. Why don't you tell us uh, how we can connect with you to learn more? Um, well, I'm on Twitter, so I do a lot of Twitter chats and stuff like that to also reignite me. Um, so I'm at Beckett Hate, uh, B-E-C-K-E-T-T-H-A-I-G-H-T. And I'm always trying to expand my um, my PLN, my professional learning network. Mm-hmm. So uh, it'd be great to hear from people. And uh, my blog is on BeckettHate.com, so you can find all my crazy ruminations about <laughs> Chalet and Betsy DeVos and whatever else. Oh, Lord, don't go there. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's awesome. I'll put all these links and everything you've mentioned in the show, you know, podcasts you're listening to and everything. I'll put it in the show notes so folks can look it up and, and connect mm-hmm. with you. But thank you again so much for taking time to share your story with us. And I just hope you stay connected with me, especially as I get to see your journey unfold. Definitely. I look forward to it. I appreciate it. righty. Chat soon. Bye. Okay. I wasn't lying, y'all. Wasn't that an awesome conversation? I mean, there's so much to love about Beckett. I think his personal story as a student who struggled really has helped him become the teacher that he is today. Plus, all his experience teaching abroad really makes him unique. And I really love the message that he brings to students who are in difficult scenarios that can overcome through choice, through small decisions, through encouragement, through community support. Um, So if you're listening and you find yourself identifying with this, please reach out to Beckett. Or if you have a challenging group of kids and you think uh, his influence might be really helpful, you want to bounce some questions off him, please reach out to him. I've put all the contacts that you need in the show notes. So just go to alwaysalesson.com, click on podcast. You'll find his episode and all the ways to connect with him. But I highly recommend you take a moment to really learn as much as you can from him. He's a great resource, uh, a great educator, obviously a great person. Thanks, Beckett, for coming on the show. Appreciate you. All right, Elite Educators, that is a wrap for this week's special edition interview podcast with Beckett Hate. Now go out and be great because you've just been empowered. This podcast is a member of the Education Podcast Network, a podcast network that encourages you to think about your profession and succeed in the world of education. Whether you're a first-year educator or a seasoned veteran, there is a podcast for you. All of the shows are produced by educators who want to shape education through meaningful discussion and content. So head on over to edupodcastnetwork.com for more details. (laughs) 